Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we get into it, I wanted to share with you one of the many other music podcasts out there that I've been enjoying recently. It's called The Third Story Podcast, hosted by another musician and producer named Leo Sidron. His podcast is actually pretty similar to mine, as it turns out. It features long-form interviews with creative people of all types, mainly in the world of music. He's had guests like Jean-Baptiste, the band leader for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Butch Vig, one of the members of the band Garbage and legendary producer for Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins, as well as Ari Herstand, indie musician and author of one of my recent favorite books, How to Make It in the New Music Business. Leo is a great interviewer and pulls together a very interesting and diverse mix of guests. So if you're looking for more podcasts to check out, I would definitely suggest that you give his a listen. Again, that's The Third Story Podcast with Leo Sidron. He puts out a new episode every two weeks on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You're listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode number 20, we have Ryan Price. Ryan is a singer-songwriter, guitarist, and leader of the Seattle-based band Human Ladder. The band is a power trio with a distinct style ranging from folky to fuzzy garage rock. In addition to the band, Ryan also works as a sound engineer. He recorded much of Human Ladder's debut album, Curse Your Weatherman, himself. He has also recorded many other local talents, such as Drew Martin, whose podcast episode will actually be out in a couple months, and the songwriter Beasley, who I hope to get on the show sometime soon. Anyway, Ryan's a really nice guy, great musician. I was very excited to get to sit down with him. Before the interview, I'm going to play you his song, She Studies Evil.
Where did you get the name Human Ladder? It's actually a nickname that was given to me by a coworker. I wonder why. Yeah. So you're a six, six five, eight. six eight. Yeah. Okay. You ever play basketball growing yes, up? Yes, actually. My dad was a coach. He actually played at Gonzaga. So yeah, I, I grew up as a gym rat in gyms and you know playing. But at some point, I just I found music. Actually, you know, I kind of get burned out on basketball. I was playing year round and playing on traveling traveling leagues, and I was like the guy from because I grew up out in Carnation and Duval. Where's that? It's east of Redmond. Oh, okay, so right. pretty close to here. Yeah, I mean, I'm from here. But I was like the guy from the sticks playing with inner city kids. But I, I found, I, I always I always uh, was uh, drawn to music. We have this family friend that always like would come camping and, and sing uh, sing-alongs around the campfire. And like as a kid, I just remember like being ecstatic about like the whole process, mm. you know, singing covers and uh, listening, watching him play and all of those things. And like right around, my mom tried to play guitar, and so we had a guitar. And then I remember like one Thanksgiving they came over and he, I had him show me a couple chords and uh, it became an obsession, you know. I was like, this is definitely something wow. <laughs> I want to put my time into. So around what age was that? I was probably 15. That's a good time of one's life to get into guitar, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I was driving yet. So yeah, it was... It was a happy coincidence, like around the same time, like a couple of the, of the cool kids at school got into guitar, and then suddenly like I'd show up at, at school and there'd be guitars everywhere. And everybody knew how to play a couple of songs, <laughs> like kind of, okay. Yeah, they could so play I two learned, or three chords yeah, or whatever. Or they could play the intro to Come As You Are or <laughs> Wish You Were Here or something. So I, I was able to like just pick up all these random riffs and then that come as you are riff that's like the easiest thing in the world it's so so great though if you think uh, about like something simple that just is so timeless. effective yeah. yeah and then i eventually found a couple of people that were taking lessons or were talented and i you know learned a lot from them you know just like secondhand and so you never took uh, formal lessons yourself eventually i did oh, take did. well my parents weren't like real crazy about me playing guitar you know, they wouldn't let me have an electric for for a while, you know. So I, I played acoustic, and it was kind of like, oh, that, that's cute. Ryan wants to play guitar. Eventually, like, it was like, okay, he's serious about this. I was able to, you know, I took lessons for a while, but I had to pay for them. But it gave me a good foundation. Yeah, that really helps early on. For sure. And I've given lessons to a few people, and the things that I learned from those initial lessons really, like, like if you learn right it's a lot easier to excel than if you don't, you know, yeah. you kind of you're limited to what you can do. But yeah, and then I eventually like formed a band that, um, funny enough, it was for like high school graduation. We played a couple of songs. It was like, I think we played Leonard Skinner and Led Zeppelin or something like that. But that band went on to become a band that I spent almost a decade in. Oh. It was called Alki Diggins. Alki Diggins. Yeah. And we played all over town and toured and, Eventually, uh, the band broke up, and uh, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do next, so I went on to... I studied music at Shoreline for a while, and then got into engineering, which is something I was always inter interested in. Put out a solo record uh, around that time. Under Ryan Price? Yeah. Played all the instruments on that album except for drums. There's still some stuff that holds up in there. And then ended up sort of like 
not really pursuing it after, you know, like kind of like just disenchanted maybe with the, like the idea of like doing it as a career. And so I, I wasn't the, really... The business side of yeah, it. Yeah, I wasn't really playing gigs or I didn't have a band and, you know, but and then, then I came back to it. That's great. So when did you form Human Letter? We've been an active band for a little more than two years, probably, or right around two years, you know. Current incarnation of our bass players been with us about one year. We've been through a couple of guys on bass. All great, and they're all good friends still, but, you know, it's hard to make things work sometimes. Logistics. Yeah. Among, but the, Among adults, especially. But the drummer has been with me really from the... Like, I started writing songs, yeah. but didn't... Um, didn't actively seek members right away, but and then Bryson, who's our drummer, was a fan of the old band that I was in and was always like, hey, we should jam, you know, and at some point, like, let's try this. Let's do, and he's been great, super loyal, and, and it's hard to find people that want to show up and be excited about. Yeah, really commit. Yeah, or they just want to be in the band for maybe the wrong reasons, <laughs> you know, like yeah. they just want to be in a band just because it's fun or they'll get chicks or something, I don't know. But They just want to show up and play once yeah. in a while. So yeah, it's been a great partnership. How long has Niagara Moon been a project? I started that about two years ago. Before that, I was living in Japan, oh. and I had a band there called Otarehan, and uh I mean, the music was pretty similar to what I do now because I was still writing all mm -hmm. of the songs, but some of them would be in Japanese, and it was still... I hadn't really done a lot of songwriting specifically before I oh, yeah. formed the group, so I was getting used to that. But, uh, yeah, I left Japan, moved back to the States to finish up my last year at school. I liked the name Niagara Moon because it's, uh, it's an album from the 70s from one of these Japanese musicians I really like. So, of course, it's uh. really obscure. No one's going to recognize it so it's kind of my own little my own thing and it kind of describes like both my solo recording stuff and then also stuff I play with the band that's so kind of a collective yeah so you said you formed about two years ago and um I mean you've already put out a full length yeah it was really the band started as me as a recording project yeah so I had that up on on probably a lot of like local bands who like are hungry to record it was like for me it was like the recording was was the thing that got me started again because that's I mean that's one of my favorite things to do is yeah no that's kind of the way I came at it too like mm -hmm. I arrange and produce and record the songs and then I think about how I'm gonna yeah deal with them live the the next the next release will probably it'll be more I mean there's a lot of live takes on the debut album Curse mm -hmm. Your Weatherman yeah but there's quite a bit of overdubbing in some of the some of the tracks and it's more like acoustic bass is because we weren't having to play at bars at the time and <laughs> you know I didn't really have the electric setup that I do now but they're still in there because I mean that's the band that I I was in for years was like a guitar based like rock guitar band you know so driven kind of thing so i mean i always like that sort of blend of like neil young and crazy horse or mm. you know like that sort of like songwriter driven guitar music mm. i guess yeah. yeah 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 i'm trying to think of words to describe that zuma sound that oh talking yeah about. That, i think that's the that's his pinnacle of tone like in terms of over the years he had his style really dialed yeah. in by then yeah <laughs> cortez the killer and that yes sort of thing. so curse your weatherman that's obviously you on all the guitar parts i imagine yeah um and singing and then your former bassist yeah all, the bass. all all but one tune has 
a guy named and Andy Olson on it. And uh, your drummer, Bryson, when you enlisted him, that started as him playing on that album, and then you yeah, it was took like, to doing shows after that. Yeah, I mean, he he started showing up, and they were in demo form, you know, or that like I had acoustic. And I don't know if you're this way, but I I'm a rewriter, mm-hmm. you know, like I I write songs and they come quickly, but I I don't necessarily share early drafts, mm-hmm. you know, like I kind of hold on to them. You, or, re- I mean, I you rewrite sh- a lot of the lyrics, you mean, or yeah, or just like the feel, or you know, like try different rhythms. Yeah, or just because I I feel like when a song will come, it'll just like it'll just be like there. It's there you for know, you. Like, yeah. yeah, you just it's not even like something that you try to do if if you're open to it, right? So here here's a song, and you get it down, or you get it recorded on my phone, or whatever whatever the idea is, and then I refine it over time, you know, so maybe it'll be three chords, but you can take three chords anywhere, you, you know. That's true. And you can you can make it feel like an old soul tune or you can make it feel like a jazzy or country. Like there's so many, so I, I experiment with those things, but also like phrasing and lyrics and things like that, like uh, making sure that it's not like there's no wasted space and that you're not rushing syllables that don't seem like they fit and things like that. yeah. I know an artist like Paul Simon will obsess yes. over that stuff for years, like just the right way to phrase a lyric. Is he putting too many syllables in there? Does he have to take some out? Yes, Paul he's, is the master. He's so methodical about that. Mm-hmm. But I also like the kind of from the hip approach as well. Right. It doesn't want to sound too overwrought. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I was listening to a Neil Young interview the other day and he was talking about, I don't want to hear somebody that wants to sound like something else, you know, like this kind of like it just comes from the source and you honor that and you know so I try to balance those ideas like the Paul Simon like this exacting kind of approach versus the uh like the productions that like we were talking when we first came in like that kind of separating the production from the songwriting yeah uh, inevitably are the same thing but when you're creative try to be honor that and then once you have captured it, you can come back and say, well, that vocal performance was a little weak or the guitar could be more interesting or those are the things that I explore once I kind of have an idea. Yeah, but it's it's important to tune those things out when you're first channeling the idea. Yeah, you got to get be the, too self-conscious. Yeah, you got to get everything out of the way so you can just get a, an idea down. Because I feel like if you're like, oh, this is my new song or this is, that was one thing I learned early on was like, write a lot of songs or have a lot of things that you're working on because if you have one song that you're working on you get bored with it or you like be like that's my one or song you lose my- perspective on it really quickly yeah that's the perspective thing that's exactly it so that's what my process like it's kind of it's probably maybe slightly annoying to the band where they're like that's cool you know it's like a, <laughs> it's like pornography you know when you've got it you know <laughs> you know well, what it is yeah you know what it is when you, you can't see it. quite define it though yeah yeah and I imagine since Curse Your Weatherman two years ago, you've been generating a lot of new songs. Yeah, actually, I had a favor from a friend who owns a studio because I used to do work for him, live sound and stuff. I had booked studio time to go and mix Curse Your Weatherman in a big studio. And I kind of have people that I share with, you know, that I think are a good sounding board. I think you need that when you're writing songs. You, like you show your mom and she's going to be like, I love it. You're great. You know, yeah, but that's maybe not the best not, resource. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, 
And everybody was like, this sounds dumb. You're gonna go in there, like, what are you gonna do? You know, like, it sounds fine, you, you know? So I just, I took their advice and I ended up going into the studio and tracking, I think we tracked like eight songs. And that was before the album even came out. They weren't all done, granted. There was a few gems that kind of came out of that, but since new songs and rewriting of old songs and, and we're starting to play some of those live. When are you thinking of uh, releasing your follow-up? I'm, I'm gonna get serious about making an album here over the summer. It really depends on how that goes. I think it'll happen quick once I carve out the time for it, but we've been playing gigs, and even when you have a gig in a couple of weeks and it's like, oh, we got constantly preparing and you're not being creative and exploring. So yeah. it's nice to, I think we have this gig on June 23rd at Connor Byrne, and maybe one other in August, but uh, I think other than that, I'm not gonna play too many gigs this summer and focus on recording. Yeah, it is something you have to make time for specifically. Yeah, and I always thought, I always thought, well, I, I can do both. But now that it's more of a band sound, it's difficult to carve out the time right while for you're two gig- other people. Yeah, while you're gigging too, or just the mental clutter of like, oh, that's that that, oh, and then the bridge, and, and whereas it's like this is the song we're working on today because that's yeah. how it'll be when we're recording. You just show up and do the song a bunch or focus on three or four songs so you're not like whoa how many songs do you have <laughs> that's which one is that you know, yeah like, i've had like, that exact same feeling yeah if you try to push too many new tunes at once mm-hmm. whether you're arranging or recording it's with a group it's like oh i mean i'm, I'm talking about that other song right oh we're still on this one like, what's going on yeah <laughs> they just and nobody knows up titles or yeah. their <laughs> titles are changing but yeah, so I have, I have an idea to do kind of like four or five, maybe six tunes with the current sound that we're doing live right now. And then there's a bunch of acoustic tunes that I got to figure out what treatment they need. I like the idea of having some horns on a few of the tunes. Go for it. Yeah, so I got to figure out how to uh, get some charts written and kind of go for an, like maybe an old R&B kind of feel or something. Yeah, so you seem to be pretty knowledgeable on like music production and recording. I mean, are you a, a home recording enthusiast? Yes. Yeah, uh, Curse Your Weatherman was basically recorded on uh, an 11 rack Pro Tools interface. And that's and, like in your basement or something? Yeah, it's in my basement. I have some outboard pre's as well. But I could only really do like uh, seven or eight tracks at a time. But I mean, it was enough. Like I yeah. have a little drum booth built in my basement. Oh, nice. You know, I don't know how many. I know that at least a few of the songs were recorded in that booth. One tune was recorded at my work, and then another one was recorded in my basement, but outside of the booth. But yeah, so I have some outboard pre's, but it's pretty simple. I don't have like a mixing console or anything, just because to go that way requires a lot of expense analog to digital conversion and like you have to you know then you need outboard gear and it's hard to recall your mixes and yeah it's a lot to take on a lot of geeky stuff that gets but i mean judging by the uh the sound quality of your recording i mean i'm surprised to hear you did a lot of that in a basement like yeah pretty polished to me yeah i studied engineering you know i mean oh so when you said earlier that you went to college for engineering you meant sound engineering Mm -hmm. okay all right i misunderstood yeah no all right so you really learned the tricks of the trade with that then. Yeah. So I, I, le- I learned how to manipulate Pro Tools. For me, I'm, I'm at a point where I just like, it's a tool for me and I try not to get lost in it because you can easily, like easily. If, you're, if you're like, hey, which, which um, DAW should I use? I would be like, whichever one's 
is the easiest. But for me, I know that because I had to take classes. I know all the shortcuts. Yeah, yeah. And as much as the evil empire of Avid and Digizen might be, I know that program. You're, all, you're hooked yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> They've got me. So um, we have this mid-century house that I have half the basement kind of as my recording studio. Wow, and that's the, the dream. Yeah. I've recently opened it up to some some friends to help help them make records and that's that's been a really fun process because then I don't have to worry about myself, my performance. I just yeah. get to kind of show up and wear a smile and capture what they're doing. You get to use your technical skills in creating some great music, but yeah. you also don't have to go through that artistic ordeal at the same time. Yeah. You can sit back a little bit more. I think that's the thing that I've been procrastinating on myself on, on making a record is just like, I want it to be good, but at the same time, there's a lot of, like, as soon as I get into it, I'll love it, but it's like, it's a lot of work making making an album sometimes, you know. So uh, I talked to Drew Martin a while back. His episode isn't going to come out for a little while, but he was talking about recording at your place. Yeah, that was a that was a magic Sounded experience. Sounded like some fun times. Yeah, we had, we, we had a lot of fun. And uh, you recorded Beasley? Yeah. So Be- Beasley is who kind of started this. I met Beasley, as many people do, through the Conor Byrne o- open mic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to get down there, but I'm not. I'm not there all the time. Yeah, and it's, it's tough to stay out late. Yeah, on a weeknight. Uh, but but I do love to go there and workshop new songs and and uh, Beasley, such a sweetheart of a dude, and uh, he really had a desire to make a record, but didn't know how to get there. You know, he had a million questions, and it was just like, come over and let's just try it. <laughs> and so when he showed up, he uh, of course brought his awesome songs but he also brought drew and so okay. drew plays on on the record i think every song with with beasley great i can't wait to hear that too yeah. i should get him on this and so that's how i met drew and when drew plays with beasley he plays much more like understated and melodic mm. you know and then we played a gig at the royal room the three of us and that was the first time i saw drew do his thing and i was just Thoroughly impressed. Yeah. So, yeah, that started the process. And Drew Beasley has a certain energy about him. Super, super. It was like the fun part about that session was uh, they would come and play these, like, really intense, slow, sad songs. And at the end, they would just, like, yell, like, woo, like, <laughs> like, like they just, <laughs> you know, it I was mean, like Drew's a huge goofball. I know yeah, that. so it was it was interesting. At the end of every track, there's like a minute of them hollering and stuff. <laughs> it didn't. Most of it didn't make the record, but it was really fun. And then, so it was a different vibe for for Drew. And it took a few sessions, and then he really got his wings. And then Isaac Castillo Castillo plays bass on a few of the tunes, and we recorded around Thanksgiving a couple of times. And then by the time he came back from Hawaii in the new year, early this year, we just, every week he'd show up and we'd just focus on one song and he wouldn't have to, th- like like we were saying, the mental clutter of like, oh, I got to do five songs. It was just, one, for the whole week, he would just focus on one song yeah. and, and uh, show up and have these tunes, you know, like exactly how he, and then we'd just do them three or four times and they'd be done. Yeah, I'm finding for myself more and more that approach of just doing one song at a time is is working better because I just yeah. I have to get into the world of that song. Yeah. Because each song 
now I feel like has its own theme, its own concepts. So I really have to be locked into that when I'm working on it. Yeah. I can't really kind of approach it half-assed so much. Yeah, and just like I was talking about earlier, like with having a lot of songs and keeping the plate full, when it comes to recording, you really need to buckle down. And, you know, I'll just work on one thing for hours. Can get locked into uh, finding the right guitar delay for yeah. I I recently simplified my whole pedal board setup for that reason. It it can (laughs) do a lot, but I wanted to get away from the endless tweaking. Yeah, it's not beneficial for me. At least for me, if I had more time, maybe. But it's like I want to play more guitar, and I don't have that much time. Yeah, you're a family man. I take it. I am. I feel like uh, musicians really stay committed as they get older and settle down and stuff you really gotta they make the maximum yeah efficiency of their time that is totally true i think i think it benefits the art as well yeah, and you're so, just like, getting right down to business yeah so it used to be i would show up and you know have half a day mess around and waste it you know and now i don't have half a day hardly ever right and so it's like I'll pick up the guitar in the morning for 10 minutes and something will just be there and mm-hmm. it'll end up on my phone. And then two weeks later, I'll pick it up again and it'll, you know, it's like kind of like a little bit farther each time and suddenly you got a second, third verse or, you know, a melody that makes sense. That's or, great being it, able to use your time that way and even yeah, small increments like that. And so it has it is, it is made it more urgent uh, or uh, like the end result more like, instead of like, oh, I really want a great song and I really want it to be blow everybody's mind it's more like this is what's here and this, this is, is what, what you're working out. on and there's all the time you have and, and that you, ends up being the better stuff anyway yeah you don't have to overthink it it's just kind of like you know i, f- I find that if you just kind of if you show up it, it'll be there it may not be there every time but you know it's those songs that mean something to you that like they'll be there are there certain themes or ideas that you would say often inspire you when you're writing new songs yeah, definitely. The thing that always like makes the, you know, goosebumps on my arms or like in music, the thing that I want in the music that I listen to is always this like ability for it to be have longevity, right? And not just like longevity in terms of the way that it sounds sonically or whatever, like this kind of like ability to listen to an album over and over and over. And the more you listen to it, the more you like it. You know, I feel like terrestrial rock radio with the 17 choruses and, uh, you know, like disposable sort of half a verse that they <laughs> comp together in the studio. Like, you just like, you, you hear it five times and you got it and you're not interested anymore. Hear it two times and mm-hmm, you got it. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I come from that rock world kind of thing, but not before my dad's record collection that, spoke to me initially you know when i found like iron and wine and you know this kind oh, of like, yeah, yeah. you know this kind of like or even dylan where it's like not as focused around the chorus but more like a verse refrain you know or like iron and wine doesn't have choruses a lot of times it'll have you know melodic breaks in between verses or you know like when i realized that you don't have to have a big chorus and part of the thing that was appealing to me in the songs and that gave it that timelessness, like 
maybe like Van Morrison Astro Weeks or something like that. Oh, Drew brought up the exact same yeah. record. Drew and I, I think, that's a great album. Yeah, <laughs> Drew and I have a lot of. It was funny, you know, he showed up in the basement, and it's, suddenly it was like, oh, you know that one, you know, like. But these kind of records that just kind of, I had I had records that I loved when I was eighteen or twenty five or whatever. But there's a few of them that stick around, you know. And that ability to write a song that lasts is something that always appeals to me. So there's, there's that. There's that sort of, like, it could be the subject matter in terms of, like, the themes. Curse Your Weatherman has its own themes that relate to... That's my fridge of doom. <laughs> Sorry. The thing that got me back to music after um, I wasn't playing, after, right. you know... I was disillusioned or whatever, um, was that my mom died. Through that process, family members and friends were like, hey, what are you doing? Are you, you know, are you playing music or what are you, why aren't you playing music? You know, we clearly don't have that unlimited time here. Mm. So you, <laughs> you, you might as well do it. And I kind of was like, you know, I probably should get that up and going again. And then my wife was like, when we were first married, we were running around and you know, like having kids and buying houses. And it was like, there was no, it was like, uh, music, take it or leave it. But and then through that process, I realized that. You realized how much it meant to you. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't set out to, to necessarily make a certain kind of record or anything, but there's a lot of those. Processing that is a big theme in that record and mm. in various, various ways. And I, I try not to always write from the first first person so there's different ways to look at like legacy and what happens when you die and how to make good while you're here and there's a lot there but um the other thing going back to um talking about the records that I really enjoy and that have lasting appeal is like the songs seem to to, to be like a layer of an layers of an onion right so you can look at them more like there's dual meaning and there's ultimately like those are the things that I'm analyzing when I'm rewriting, you know, mm. like how do you get the like this to say one thing but mean a couple of things. Some of and, my favorite lyrics are the kind where they really seem like they mean something very definitively. You just can't put your finger on what it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's also awesome. I always, I always think of like Yellow Leadbetter too. Because who knows what he's saying in that tune, right? It's like mumbling. But there's a certain quality about, like, you can just make up your own thing. Kind of, like, it sounds good, clearly. Yeah. But uh, I think of, like, uh, Cocteau Twins. Oh, know. yeah, totally. So that was that's just gibberish, but it's beautiful yeah. gibberish. <laughs> uh, Dead Can Dance comes to mind, too, <laughs> on that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where... I, I do appreciate you... Uh, you doing this? I've always, like, I've recently got into podcasts and it's like, that would be cool to do, you know, but I just, you're doing a good job, like, having having to be people from the local scene. And, uh, yeah, I, w I wish I could have had the band come down as well. I mean, is there anything, I mean, about the band or that you saw the other night that would be interesting to talk about? Or Yeah, let me see if I can cook up one more question. Um, I totally, I was like, I saw your posts on Instagram or whatever. I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I think I talked to Craig the other day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was like, I did this podcast. I just met him. Super nice guy. Yeah. So I was like, hey, that's that's cool that 
he's doing that. And then Drew was like, hey, I'm doing this thing. I was like, okay, that's cool. I mean, there's just so many interesting songwriters around here. I have, there are really, it's a really. Have so many to choose from. Yeah, there's a really healthy scene. People are supportive. People aren't really like, oh, how come that person got that gig? Or, you know, I'm not getting where I want to. Like, it seems to be like. People are just doing it for the love of the music. Yeah, it always like stuff's percolating. I'm I'm sure people are gonna come out and yeah. and do good things. I guess when I when I released Curse Your Weatherman, I didn't really have like a marketing or a publicist, and like currently I don't really have it anywhere yeah. but Bandcamp. You know, just because I've had, in the past I've had music on like iTunes or whatever, and it's like, is anybody paying attention? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I should get it on Spotify or something, but. Uh, it was basically self-released and with no notable yeah. marketing. That sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to change that for the next one. Uh, we played a lot of gigs, and I think I think it's worth it. Yeah. You know, to figure out how to do that better. I the mean, if your uh, if your upcoming album is anything like Christian Weatherman, I mean, there's some there's some solid songwriting. The production again, it's amazing. Like the different tones you get. The arrangements and um, yeah, I have very high expectations for you. Oh, cool! Release. Thank I you. Yeah, I, I guess I did that to myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, the next album, the themes will be different on the next the next one. I think the next one's gonna have more themes of um, living with purpose and not just like working your days away, living with integrity and like how to tell those stories that resonate with me and or the people I see and you know thing, things that I've gotten into over the last couple of years in terms of you know. That's a whole nother subject, but yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, it should be fun. All right, man. Thanks for coming over today. Thank you. All righty. Another episode done. I can't believe I've put out 20 of these things already. I hope you guys are still enjoying it. If you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave a rating or write a review there as well if you're up to it. Sign up for the Niagara Moon mailing list if you would like to get weekly updates on the podcast, as well as my own musical activities. Just go to niagaramoonmusic.com and scroll down to enter in your email address. You can find the podcast on Facebook. Just look up Talking About the Passion. We're also on Twitter at TATP Podcast and on Instagram at Niagara Moon Music. If you would like to write to me with suggestions, questions, or comments about the podcast, you can email tatppodcast at gmail.com. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar off my recent album Eating Peaches. Okay, so now I'm going to play you two more Human Ladder songs from their 2015 album Curse Your Weatherman, Remember the Lightning, followed by the title track Curse Your Weatherman. I hope you like them, and I will see you next Wednesday.
saw her, no man would kill for her. Long red hair, spark like a meteor, leaving light across the room. You're gonna curse your weather and it's always 